The Yesterday and Today podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun compilation of chronological source materials as they pertain to the Beatles. This show is in no way affiliated with Apple Corps, nor any organization connected to John, Paul, George, or Ringo in any way, though we do consider ourselves premier members of the Bungalow Bill fan club. So kick back, turn off your mind, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. Yesterday and Today. 1974, Part 13. In this final episode of 1974, we will cover December 10th through December 31st. December 1974. Recently, it had been a rather warm November in and around Manhattan, with moderate rains projected in and throughout December. Last March, we had a musical reunion of sorts between Lennon and McCartney, with renewed friendships occurring. John also has been perceived as being the happiest he has been in several years. Throughout the month of December, John kept composing songs. May Pang has been quoted as saying that John worked and reworked his musical idea about Tennessee Williams, a musical playwright. He got the idea after reading passages from the play, A Streetcar Named Desire. Tennessee, oh Tennessee, what you shown to me? Your words like water, pure and clear. The sadness of your soul reveals the music of the sphere and seal behind your spirit mind your poet's love fear John's fight to stay in the U.S. also appears to be gaining ground Searching foreigner, come to live in the light of the beacon of liberty. Plains and open skies, billboards would advertise. Was it anything like that when you While all four Beatles individually are in the music charts enjoying success, the Fab Foursome are finally about to legally dissolve their musical partnership. George appeared to be relieved that that day will soon arrive as he approached the last few dates of his tour. On Tuesday, December 10th, the George Harrison Tour played two shows at the Boston Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. 
before traveling off to Rhode Island on December 11th to play the Providence Civic Center. Also on or around this day, the Big Seven Music Corp. assigned its rights under the October 1974 agreement to Adam 8 Limited. Now, Adam 8 presents one of the most incredible artists of our time. Which immediately started preparations to press and release John Lennon's album of oldies that they had titled Roots. John Lennon singing 15 of the great rock and roll hits. Using the two reels that John previously provided. John was unaware of these actions. On December 13th, the George Harrison tour stops in Maryland for two shows. Before the concerts, George Harrison and his father, along with the rest of his show band, which include George, accompanied by George's father Harry, George's girlfriend Olivia, Robbie Shankar, and Billy Preston, visit the White House, and to have lunch with the 38th President of the United States, Gerald Ford. They were invited by President Ford's son, John, whom they met earlier on the tour.
George says he senses good vibes coming from President Ford's administration. I saw you 
Thank you. After an early lunch with President Ford, George and the band were whisked away to nearby Largo, Maryland, to play a late afternoon and evening show at the Capitol Center. I think you'd like to do a song of my latest album, what is called Dark Horse on the Apple label, distributed by Capitol. And this is a song that's called Maya Love. Stop that, you're talking about love. Maya Love.
those of you who didn't buy the program, just like to tell you who the band is a bit more formally. Over there on percussion, Emma Richards. Um, saxophones, flutes, you name it, they blow them. From the back to the front, Jim Horn, Jim Finley, and Tommy Scott. <laughs> Shanko hiding in the background. On the guitar, Robin Ford. As you heard on the bass guitar, Willie Weeks. And on the drums, we got Andy Newmark and Jim Keltner. Forget this time. Mm, last time I wouldn't go nowhere without him. Billy Preston on the keyboards. Session drummer Jim Keltner joins the George Harrison tour at this point, adding a second drummer to the band. George wishes to pay for Jim's services, but Jim requests no payment other than a Mercedes 450 SL automobile. George gets inspired by this and writes the song "It's What You Value."
On Saturday, December 14th, George and Olivia Aris arrive in New York for the completion of his tour. The couple stay at the Plaza Hotel in Manhattan. George arranges to meet John and May at the hotel, where they all spend the night reminiscing and discussing the Beatles' dissolution agreement that they were about to sign in a few days. John also agreed to join George on stage at Madison Square Garden. Looking forward to the days ahead without the legal weight of the Beatles dragging him down, George invites John and May to tomorrow night's show in Long Island at the Nassau Coliseum. As planned, John and May attend George's evening show. Chris O'Dell, the former Apple staffer who is now working for the Harrison tour, picked them up around 6 p.m. Chris states, We had dinner at a tiny neighborhood restaurant about a block away from their apartment in Manhattan where they knew they wouldn't be bothered. When they arrived at the concert, John and May watched the show from the side of the stage. I'd like to do this song, which is written by an old friend of mine and yours, some of yours maybe, and uh, it was also written by a new friend of mine, John Lennon.
With Ravi Shankar still absent from performing on stage, Lennon is said to remark that he is pleased that he doesn't have to sit through Ravi's bit. John later stated that the show was good. George's voice was shot, he said, 
but the atmosphere was good and the crowd was great.
After the concert, Maureen Starkey joined John and May backstage. And then, the party returned to Chris O'Dell's hotel room. On December 16, 1974, an English paper, the Daily Mail, reports that President Nixon had personally ordered the harassment of John Lennon and had wanted to deport him. Also today in America, Apple releases a second single taken from Lennon's Walls and Bridges album. The 45 is Number 9 Dream. Whisper yes. John and Number oh, 9 And I also sing the background, too, to that. The, the words are Bawakawa Pase, right. Yeah. John's girlfriend, May Pang.
the same day that Apple released John's number nine dream as a single, December 16th, the George Harrison tour play at the Spectrum in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Also on December 16th, the George Harrison album, Dark Horse, receives a gold disc from the Recording Industry Association of America. In the morning hours between 7 a.m. and 9 a.m. on December 17th, John Lennon is a guest on NBC's Today Show with hosts Hugh Downs and Barbara Walters. The Beatles, John Lennon. Lennon, he will not be singing for us this morning. He is deeply involved in trying to prevent himself from being deported. The United States Immigration Department says that a drug violation for which he was found guilty, or which he pleaded guilty in England in 1968, is grounds for his deportation. We'll find out about that charge and what his chances are of staying in this country in a few moments, but right now we have the news and weather from Bob Jameson. John is interviewed by columnist and TV personality Jim Hartz. My left is John Lennon. I wonder if you get tired of people introducing you as the former Beatle. Uh, it's an improvement on X. I like former better. In England, I'm an expatriate patriot and an ex-Beatle. Former looks nicer. Do the Beatles still exist ah. as such? I mean, did, when you disband, does the name go somewhere and the whole thing just go off into oblivion? Or... No, the, the Beatles' name will continue because it's, it's, all, it's a Beatles Limited, you know? Mm -hmm. And there's lots of Beatles product that's repackaged. Uh, for instance, last year there was two sets of double albums that did as well as anything we put out when we were together. And there's uh, a film in the, in the offing that's comprised of all films we've collected from all the tours and all the interviews over the world that is being put together, which will be called The Long and Winding Road, no doubt. So they exist, but they don't work together anymore. You haven't worked together in, what, three or four years? Well, let me say, I worked with Ringo and George on Ringo's album. I worked with George on an album of mine. I've worked with Ringo about two months ago. And I might be working with George on Friday, folks. What's happening? Well, he's in town performing. And he's, we're still friends, you see. Mm -hmm. So we might have a laugh. It's the last night of his tour. And see you Friday. <laughs> Listen, before I get to the, to the heavy stuff here on the, on the deportation, let me ask you a few questions that we were chatting yesterday and you said it, it is the one thing that people always want to know are you ever going to play together again as a group it's quite possible it's it's a question like i told you yesterday even cab drivers asked me they asked me two things are you going to play together again how's your immigration mm -hmm. and in what form we play together again i don't know 
it's been a physical impossibility for the four of us to be in one place at one time. I couldn't leave here because I, I wouldn't get back in. George and Paul also have problems coming in and out. They have to ask a few months in advance for permission to come in. So the most that's ever been in the country at the same time is three. Uh, there's probably three here now by the end of the week, but Ringo's gone back. So it's really been the immigra my immigration problem and George and Paul's immigration problem that's kept us from even sitting in a room together to decide uh, or even say hello, although we've done it in different combinations of the four. Mm -hmm. So if the immigration problem were solved, there's, you're saying there's nothing uh, personal between the, the four of you that would prevent you someday from perhaps uh, playing again or making yeah, more albums or so on. For us to do that, we'd have to do it more than just to resurrect what went on in the 60s. Mm -hmm. You know, so what, what, whatever format, and it's not in the offing, but it's quite possible, whatever format we did together, it would have to be interesting to us musically and otherwise, otherwise there'd be no point. We don't want to just do it for the old time's sake, you know? Sure. We do it because we want to. Well, you've all gone in different directions and yeah, grown well. and, and um, been into different things. But what about the celebrated feud between you and, and McCartney and, and so on? Was that all blown out of proportion? Of, well, it's, it was half and half, you know? I mean, if, if I get knocked down by a taxi cab, it's a celebrated person being knocked down in a taxi cab. Or if I get married, divorced, it's celebrated. So the Beatles had a divorce, and Paul and I were always the sort of out front ones. And so our celebrated feud, you know, Lennon McCartney was, it was all, we wrote the songs, etc. It was bigger. And I think we were, I put it down now to probably, we're all, actually all probably very nervous about suddenly being on our own, although we all really wanted to get away from each other for a bit after living in a room together for 10 years. Mm. And then suddenly you're on your own, you know? So there was a little bit of that, but that's all, all gone. Well, <clears throat> we'll get back to this, but I, while we're here, I want to talk about this affair that, that's at hand now. Oh, just one more I mean, thing. This the first time that all of us are in the charts at the same time since was the split. We all have albums, singles, everything. Zooming up the charts, folks, isn't that nice? Separately, but together. <laughs> you, want to, you want to hold it up? Well, I wouldn't, no, I wouldn't want to be so commercial as to hold up Walls and Bridges, number one with a bullet, out now with a new single, number nine, Dream, at your local store. Thank you. God bless you, and let's get on with business. <laughs> just, just did the business. Oh, I did. Good, good. Attorney representing Mr. Lennon in the, these deportation proceedings. Thank you both very much for being with us. Thank you. 
We'll be back after, after this message. son Julian, accompanied by Apple staffer Steve Brendel, arrived in New York City to celebrate the Christmas holidays with John and May. John had also invited his Aunt Mimi to come to New York, but she declined. That evening, the George Harrison and the Dark Horse Tour played the second show at the Philadelphia Spectrum. I'd like to do... Um, a new single which should be on the radio. I don't know, it's actually out now, it's out. And this is, uh, it's called Dark Horse, and it's on Apple, and it's distributed by Capital. So figure that out. 
After walking off stage at the Spectrum in Philadelphia, reporters asked George what is his next move for the tour. The next move will be Madison Square Garden. After that, I'll go back to the hotel, then it'll be Madison Square Garden again. After that, I'll probably just collapse. I don't know. And with that, George and the band speed away and head to New York City where his tour will finish up, as well as his involvement in the Beatles contract. On Thursday afternoon, December 19th, at 30 Rockefeller Center in New York, George Harrison and the band turned up in NBC TV studios to record a short live from New York version of the song Dark Horse. The recording was made for a new NBC TV late night comedy show called NBC Saturday Night, which was in the planning stages. Unfortunately, Harrison's video never gets screened due to the show's internal personnel changes. 
The comedy show had also been shelved for the next several months. As the evening approached, so did George's first night of his Madison Square Garden shows. Lennon, scheduled to join Harrison on stage at tomorrow night's final concert, told George he'd be at tonight's show instead, so they can all leave for the Plaza Hotel together after the concert to sign the dissolution of the Beatles agreement. Ringo had signed the documents in advance, avoiding a trip to New York and the possibility of being served a subpoena by Alan Klein. Harrison agreed and mentioned that Paul will be at the show as well. This evening in New York City, an historic event in Beatle history is about to unfold. At midnight at the Plaza Hotel, the agreement to dissolve the Beatles' partnership is about to be signed. But before that, at Madison Square Garden, three of the famous foursome will be present with two of them performing together on stage. And so it was said. Meanwhile, inside Madison Square Garden, rumors were in the air that John Lennon would appear on stage with George. Paul and Linda McCartney arrived in heavy disguise with the couple wearing wigs and Paul wearing a mustache. John's son Julian, accompanied by Ringo's manager Hilary Gerard, was seated nearby. All seemed set. George asks the staff to keep an eye out for John, who should have been here by now, for instructions on his part in tonight's concert. Lennon fails to turn up.
you like to do a song from the Material World album? And this is called Sue Me Sue You. Get it out! 
After the concert, George tries to get hold of John to find out why he did not show, and to make sure that he was going to be at the plaza this evening. According to May Pang in her book Loving John, John would not take his call. George was very upset and feared that John was not going to be at the Plaza Hotel for the signing as well. George told May over the telephone, Tell John I started the tour without him, and I'll finish it without him. George left for the plaza with his lawyer David Braun and business manager Dennis O'Brien. When they arrived in the room, Paul and Linda McCartney were already present along with their lawyers Lee and John Eastman. John Lennon's lawyer and advisor Harold Sider was also present along with his team David DeGinos and Michael Graham, but John was noticeably absent. Also present was Ringo's lawyer Bruce Grackle and his business manager Hilary Gerard, along with Neil Aspinall and two teams of lawyers representing Apple in the United States and in the UK. Ringo wasn't there ducking a subpoena from Alan Klein, as May Pang recalls. Ringo had already signed because he didn't want to be, they were in the middle, the Beatles were in the middle of a, um, another lawsuit and he didn't want to come in to be subpoenaed, so he already signed, but he was on the phone. All were gathered around a very large table to get all the signatures on the paperwork dissolving the Beatles' partnership. Paul McCartney recalled the setting. We had all arrived for the big dissolution meeting at the Plaza Hotel in New York. There were green baize cloth tables, like the Geneva Conference it was, with millions of documents laid out for us to sign. George, only a brief document or two left. The record, I'd just like all to right. say, these are more papers that I don't know what they say. Any of these? Yes, signed. always. Gentlemen, no, 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 Richard Starkey. All right. Yeah. Or John Lennon, or George Harrison. May the Lord okay. help this to become final. Paul and Linda had a camera set up to document this historic occasion. While signing, George then said out loud what everyone was thinking. Well, where's John? Lennon's attorney, Harold Sider, said, Good question. Then Harold proceeded to get Lennon on the phone. John refused to answer the phone call and let May handle it. You know, John's lawyer calls up and says, Well, um, uh, where's John? He's supposed to be down here. And I said, uh, I got news for you. He ain't coming. And he just, there was, so, there was silence. He goes, Okay. At that moment, a carrier arrived, bringing a green balloon, which read, Listen to this balloon, while the other side read, Happy Christmas, war is over, John Lennon. And um, John got on the phone. He says, uh, there's a few things on there I'm not happy about, and uh, I don't want to come down, I don't want to sign. Lennon explained that the terms of the agreement had him suffering the most with all the taxes, since he was the only one living in the United States. The other reason was that, quote, the stars aren't right, end quote. And um, he said, uh, okay. And he went back in the room and told the other guys. Paul was already there. Linda was there. George was there. And, he, and George just hit the roof. Paul calmed George down and told him that he'll go over and speak with John tomorrow and assured him that John will sign. The next day, Friday, December 20th, Paul and Linda visited John and promised that whatever it is that prevents him from signing the Beatles' dissolution agreement will be worked out. Once again, May Pang. Paul and Linda came by the next morning and um, to ask John what was wrong. And he says, oh, there's a few things in here I just didn't want to do. And he says, okay, we'll try and work it out. He asked for John to meet with Lee Eastman so they can iron out any issues. John agreed to meet later in the afternoon. While John prepared to meet with the Eastmans, 
George was preparing for his two final concerts on his tour. There was a performance at 4 p.m. and another at 8 p.m. Earlier in the year, my friends and I were lucky enough to purchase tickets for George's 4 p.m. concert. So along with Mike O, Mike G, Valerie, and myself, we headed into New York City for the matinee performance. The ticket price was $7.50 for section 401 row C. We brought a cassette tape recorder into the garden to record the show. The recorder was supplied by our friend Chuck, who unfortunately did not go with us. Here are some of those recordings from that afternoon. While the quality is less than perfect, the memories are perfect.
While John and May were at the meeting, John's son Julian, chaperoned by Ringo's business manager, Hilary Gerard, attend this matinee as well.
After the concert, Julian went backstage with Hilary Gerard, where George spoke with Julian and asked him to take a message to his dad. Julian agreed. Meanwhile, Neil Aspinall and May accompanied John to a meeting with Lee Eastman, as May recalls. We were at the Eastman's and Lee was trying to convince John to sign the agreement. Lee was telling him, this is all your fault, that's why George hates you. He never wants to speak with you again. And then a phone call came in and it was Julian trying to reach his dad. Julian spoke to May as John was in the middle of a conversation. John asked who was on the phone and May said, Julian, Julian has a message from George for you. He said all is forgiven and that he loves you and wants you to come to the after party tonight. John turned to Lee and said, well Lee, I guess the meeting is over then. John left without signing the agreement but agreed to consider it. After this evening's final performance of the George Harrison Dark Horse Tour, the end of the tour party is held at New York's Hippopotamus Club located at 61st Street and 1st Avenue in Manhattan. John and May, along with Paul and Linda, attend. In the wee hours, John and George leave for the Plaza Hotel where George was staying. Los Angeles radio station KHJ 93 AM interviews the two former Beatles together in this exclusive. Introduce you the one and only John Lennon. You just come in and yeah. shout things, talking about the Beatles. What's that? Where are they? Anyway, we remember now. I remember this. I remember this. Now we made a record, and John wrote a song which was quite similar. And we did it as an album track and evaded or avoided making it into the next single and in fact he gave it to some people who nobody had ever heard of which was There's a Place remember There's a Place we gave that away da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah but somebody else did it as a single we just put it on the album oh. but it was like the one before with the mouth organ and all the bit Singing like a beauty and saying it's the same old stuff. 
It isn't the same also if it's great stones. And if you do change it, then you attack for changing it, right? Yeah. And all the audiences have been digging off his shows because I've got good spies and critics don't like it because he changed it. If he'd done the same, he would have been attacked for yeah. changing it.
people who have got the shiniest shoes or the biggest heels or the funniest glasses or the biggest hat. Now, I can't get on with that scene. I just met David Bowie, who they call Bowie in America, David Bowie, who I know Ringo also thinks is great. So do I. Okay, John does too. Now, you know, I don't have any concepts of whether he's great or not great, but I met him in Memphis, uh, and he was in the shower room with the band just before we went on to the second show. I had to pull John's glasses up and say, let's have a look, let's see where you're at. David Bowie, I said these are my very words and I hope he wasn't offended by it because all I really meant was what I said, which was I pulled his hat up from over his eyes and said, hi man, how are you, you know, nice to meet you. Pulled his hat off his eyes and said, you know, do you mind if I have a look at you to see what you are? Because I've only ever seen those dopey pictures. I mean, every picture I've ever seen of David Bowie or Elton John, they just looked stupid to me. I thought they looked great. Well, I think he looks dopey. I want to see, you know, I want to see who the person is.
uh, me, George, and Paul. Right? So every time George or Paul want to come here, they have to ask permission 18 months in advance. Well, Paul, I'm a poet. Hang on, okay. Let's hear John's voice. It's possible for more than one or two to get in at the same time. The most that were ever here were me, Paul, and who was the other one? Ringo. <laughs> a lot of children, Bert didn't come. Right? So just it's impossible for us to get, even get in a room together. So the only way we talk is either over the phone or through some paper. <laughs> if you're in the market for a color TV... And with that, KHJ left and the two friends talked into the next morning. On December 23rd, Apple releases in America the single Ding Dong by George Harrison. The B-side was Harry's On Tour Express. The piece Ding Dong was released as a Christmas single in Britain. False 
December 25th, Christmas Day. Hi, everybody. Well, I hope Jingle you're having a happy bells. Christmas, which is more Jingle than we bells. are having at the moment. Scrooge Jingle here the didn't send the, all the invitations out, did you? I did, I did. Oh, no, you did. Well, why is it nobody's turned up then to our party? Because they don't want to come. Oh, that's what it is, mm, is it? Well, we bells. shall see. We shall see. The Jingle only thing bells. we've got so far is this Christmas card Nobody from the number here. one group, Mud and Lonely, Nobody. this Christmas. Christmas present from John, Cynthia Lennon, was a drum machine that played all kinds of rhythms. He loved it and they tried it out with their guitars. John apparently was gadget mad and Julian was bowled over by the TV with its separate box for changing channels, the forerunner of today's remote control. It was the cause of the worst moment in Julian's holiday. One morning while May was out shopping and John was sleeping late in the living room, Julian, bored and waiting for his dad to wake up, crept in and started to play with the channel box, although he tried to do it quietly. The clicks woke John, who leapt up and shouted at him. Julian, shocked and frightened, ran back to his room. From then on, he had to watch John's moods constantly to avoid accidentally provoking him. I was furious with John for putting yet another barrier between himself and his son. It had been a wild overreaction to a minor incident. He could be astonishingly insensitive and cruel, and gave no thought to the consequence for their relationship, which made Julian ever more wary around him. But none of this stopped Julian worshipping him, and he was delighted when his father mentioned having him over again in the summer. By standing in the park, just before dark I will remember How we met here before, and that picture's still clear in my mind I remember you standing, the snow gently branding your shoulders And that Christmas time feeling, those bells sound appealing to me Something makes me look back on that crystal white path we used to linger And the old drinking well, where we wish nearly all our life I do, they remind me of you and of that moment. As the snow slowly freezing, the season invites me to stay. Though you exist in my past, in my mind, you're quite real to me. 
Around this time, John, May, and Julian fly to Palm Beach, Florida. They were invited to stay at Morris Levy's apartment at the exclusive Sun and Surf Complex on Sunrise Avenue in West Palm Beach. On December 27th, they all went for the day up to Walt Disney World in Orlando with Levy and his son Adam. When John was asked what is his favorite ride, he replied, Pirates of the Caribbean. Lennon's attorney, Harold Sider, had also traveled to Florida to discuss the disillusion contract with John. Levy felt he now had an opportunity to corner John and his attorney to get him to sign the rights of his rock and roll recordings over to Levy. Levy urged Sider to pressure the matter of obtaining permission from EMI to release the Atom 8 mail-order Oldies LP. Levy repeatedly pressed John so hard to sign the full rights over to him that John got angry, packed his bags, and left with May and Julian. They headed back to Walt Disney World, where John felt safe and Julian would have fun. They stayed on the grounds at the Polynesian Resort Hotel, room 1601. On December 29th, having delayed the inevitable for 10 days, John finally agreed to sign the documents that would dissolve the Beatles' partnership. John asked May to get her camera. Take out your camera, Linda, he joked. Then he called Harold Sider to go over a few final points. He hung up the phone and stared out the patio door at the Magic Kingdom. As if he was replaying the entire Beatles' experience in his mind, May said. Then he started to sign, adding his name to the many documents as he effectively put an end to the Beatles. And the picture that you see there is, is um, John inking his signature on one of the many you know, papers that he had to sign for the dissolution. And we did it in Disney World because we were there with Julian. It was Christmas and we had to sign it before the year was out. And uh, it was fun at the Polynesian Hotel. Why did John take so long? May says. I think it's what you call he started the band, he ended the band. Hey, 
John, May, and Julian flew back to New York. Julian, having had such a nice Christmas break, flew back to London and into his mom's arms with tales of excitement. Cynthia Lennon. Things seemed set for a much more positive future. The Beatles' dissolution agreement, now all signed and sealed, was couriered to the High Court in London, where lawyers for John, Paul, George, and Ringo met on December 30th. All that was left was the lawyers to submit a request to the Master of the Chancery Court to obtain the court's final approval. Back in the States, at John and May's East 52nd Street apartment in New York, Lennon continued to work on the song which was inspired by Tennessee Williams. At the end of 1974, we look back at a few of the music hits. Elton John had four of the year's hottest as 1974 closed. George Harrison's good friend Eric Clapton was also making the top with his reggae-inspired hit. And Ringo's co-star from That'll Be the Day, David Essex, rocks on. Time Beatle tour companion Billy Preston took nothing from nothing and landed on top. Nothing from nothing leaves nothing. You gotta have something if you wanna be with me. The No No song off Ringo's Goodnight Vienna album scored solidly, taking a top slot through the next year. Please, it only makes me sneeze. And then it makes it hard to find a door. Hey! 
December 31st, New Year's Eve. Ringo hosts a New Year's Eve party at his Tittenhurst estate with friends such as Eric Clapton and Patty Harrison, staying on until the wee hours of the morning. Meanwhile, in New York City... Or to contact the show, visit yesterdayandtodaypodcast.wordpress.com or email at yesterdayandtodaypodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at yesterdaypod on Twitter and search yesterdayandtodaypodcast on Facebook. See you next time.
I'm Paul Kaminsky. I'm James Kaminsky. And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. And we bring you the Kaminsky family of podcasts Yesterday and Today and the Third Men podcast. You might know me from one of those dumb voices I do, or my dad (laughs) from his better show than ours. Wow. (laughs) And we're here to tell you about some cool merchandise you can pick up for the shows. As we mentioned in each episode, we do not in any way profit from these shows whatsoever, but to break even on some expenses, we have put up some cool merch that you can pick up to help support the show. Yes, some fun apparel, things you can put on yourself. Are we going to be selling Marks and Spence underwear? (laughs) Don't worry, we will. You can head to our social media pages. That's Facebook.com slash Yesterday and Today Podcast or Facebook.com slash Third Men. Or you could head to Society6.com slash Kaminsky Family Podcast. That's Society, the number six, dot com slash K-A-M-I-N-S-K-I Family Podcasts. Yeah, keep our lights on. I'm in the dark. Dad, any words of wisdom? Hello? The lights just went out. (laughs) Guys, we need your help. (laughs) Buy stuff. Perhaps a coffee mug that you can enjoy a beverage out of while listening to our shows. And if you haven't got yours, please send forth in and get a free one. All right. (laughs) Thank you, Dad. All right. We'll see you on the podcast, folks. Bye. It's audio. You can't see me.